is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. How's that sound, Mr. Producer? Oh yes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let's do a little recapping, shall we? I keep hearing people say, "I never would have gone into Afghanistan." Most of these people look to be around thirty-four, thirty-eight. If they're much older than that, they truly are without brain tissue. We were attacked from Afghanistan. Osama bin Laden had been in Afghanistan. Almost 3,000 of our fellow Americans were slaughtered. We talk about 9-11 all the time. We see the horrific video of 9-11 all the time. You see the charities that are built out still dealing with the devastating consequences. Tunnel to Towers and so many others. You remember the audio of Chick Burlingame. You remember the phone calls of Americans on airliners. Let's roll. Two towers came down. The Pentagon was hit. A plane was crashed into central Pennsylvania. They attacked us. They killed our fellow citizens. Many of the young men and women in our services today joined as a result of that attack. What do you mean we shouldn't have been in Afghanistan? I don't even know what that means. Does anybody know what that means? We should have just killed Osama bin Laden and left? Well, that wouldn't prevent everything. That wouldn't prevent a lot. Well, the past four presidents screwed up. Well, this past president screwed up. But how did the other presidents screw up exactly? Well, we wanted to do democracy, nation building. You know, we have done nation building. Again, history is important. 
after World War II, we did nation building. It was called the Marshall Plan. Now, I understand that the barbarians and cockroaches in Afghanistan never had a democracy. I got it. I do get it. But it wasn't as if it was a bad idea even initially to give it a shot. 2020 hindsight, we look back and say, what a disaster that was. Well, it turns out that it couldn't happen. But in other parts of the world, it does. But on 2014, in the year 2014, we pulled out our combat troops. So for the last seven years... We have not had, effectively, combat troops in Afghanistan. If we have, they have stood down. And you know the story, 18 months before yesterday, there were no deaths, no military deaths. We controlled the skies. We had the most advanced air base in all of Asia, built by the Soviets. And now you hear that having 2,500 non-combat military personnel, Bagram, the, the base that I'm talking about, and CIA and other intelligence there was just a bridge too far. Why was it a bridge too far? The Afghan military was getting slaughtered. They were fighting for their country with our support. 50,000 died in the last seven years. 66, I've heard 69,000 total. And as I said last night, they weren't all shot in the back, you know. Apparently their special forces are very, very good. But when you have special forces, you need intelligence. And you need some backup. We pulled the intelligence, we pulled the backup, we pulled up everything. I'm reading a report today. The former commander of the Bagram uh, Air Base said, I showed up and the Americans were gone. They left at one in the morning. I showed up two hours after they left, he says, apparently, and they never said a thing to us. Now, that's not how you treat an ally. But even the effort to build democracy, which was terribly failed, was an effort to protect us, not to build a new civilization. The thinking was, wrongheaded as it may have been, that if people have a vested interest in a civil society, they won't want to go to war as much. But of course, as we all know, that's not the case with many of these barbarian 7th century cockroaches in Afghanistan. I feel very sorry for the majority of the people in Afghanistan. The majority, the overwhelming majority of the people in Afghanistan don't want the Taliban. The Taliban is a small percentage of the population of that country. Okay, so there was no more nation building going on from 2014 forward. There was no more nation building going on. We had essentially neutralized the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Thousands and thousands 
of what we now call ISIS-K and Al-Qaeda and Taliban. We're in a prison near the airport. Thousands. And one of the first things the Taliban did when we gave them the airport was let them out of prison. This is why I'm not buying this. Well, ISIS-K is the real enemy. They're all the enemy, as I've been saying. And now even some of the Pentagon reporters are picking up on this. Excuse me, the Taliban let ISIS-K out of prison. Thousands of them. If they're enemies, why would they do that? You got to use common sense to try and figure this stuff out. Not ideology. Remember what I said, prudence. The moment we gave up that air base, and the moment we decided that the Kabul airport would in essence become a defensive fort with no external military support, no air support, no forward military ability to go on the offense, those 13 men were sitting ducks. And we're still sitting ducks. We're still sitting ducks. We didn't have to give up that airport. We didn't have to turn the Kabul airport into Fort Kabul, into the Alamo. We didn't have to take out our military first, followed by our intel. We didn't have to do any of that. And we shouldn't have. And we're constantly being told, there was a reporter, I wish I had caught the name of the reporter, who was really, really good today. And this reporter said to Pasaki, why do you keep saying the choice was either more massive military resources in Afghanistan or pulling out? He said, there's, there's dozens of choices in between. Well, do you have one? Can you come up with one? I have one. Should have left well enough alone. How about that one? But then their answer is this. It's all speculation. And their answer is, no, no, no. The only reason the Taliban didn't kill any of our military or attack us is because they knew we had a deal that we'd be out by May 1st. That's not what happened. Our bombers and our jet fighters killed the crap out of them. Whenever they would crawl out from under their rocks, we had intel. We had all kinds of information. We would hit them, hit them, hit them. They weren't behaving. They were already trying to take over various provinces and so forth. Everything I've told you the last few weeks, you can see how it is presenting itself. Like the Taliban. We don't trust them, but we trust them. We don't trust them, but we'll give them a list of the American citizens. We'll give them a list of the, of the Afghan supporters of ours. But we don't trust We know they're bad guys, you know. The first thing they do is encircle the airport. Did they do that to protect us? No, they didn't do that to protect us. They did it to prevent people from getting into the airport. And now, because we did what we did, because we got out, And didn't leave the status quo. Because we got out and didn't leave the status quo of 2,500 non-combat soldiers. An air base that was impenetrable. 
And by the way, that enabled us to keep an eye on the communist Chinese and the fascistic Russians. It's right on the border. Thanks to the Soviets. Now we have 13 dead Americans. Now we're being told, get ready. It is likely more than 50-50 they're going to hit us again. And we're in a crouch position. We have Fort Kabul, the Alamo. We've got this little speck, this airport, and they've surrounded it. And they control everything. And then they tell us, having done this to ourselves, then they tell well, what would you have us do? The Taliban control, we got to deal with somebody. We have to trust somebody. You created the entire scenario. You created the entire scenario. And now we have our military spending enormous resources on not just evacuation, but settlement. And you'll be glad to know that the proper meals are being fed to the refugees. The proper meals. We're building soccer fields and so forth. I don't hold anything against the refugees. They say they're being vetted. Pray to God they are. I pray to God they are. But we have a different situation now. Have you noticed the numbers of American citizens keep coming down, Mr. Producer? 15,000 or more. Wait a minute. 13. Wait a minute. 11,000. Wait a minute. 5,500. Whoa, wait a minute. Only 500 now want to get out. Only 500 now want to get out. Okay, 500 want to get out. How are you going to get them out? We're going to ask our friends, the Taliban. They're on the list. Please let them out. Please, pretty please, let them out. Our military is there. They're sitting ducks. Don't get me wrong. They'll fight like hell. That's the American military. But you keep hearing media personalities say this is an enormously difficult situation. It's almost an impossible situation. Biden and his generals, Biden and his Secretary of State, Biden and his Secretary of Defense, Biden and his National Security Advisor created this situation. We didn't have this situation two weeks ago. They created this situation. They did. Where our backs are against the wall. Where we're struggling to get American citizens, let alone Afghans who supported us. Where we're trying to figure out how to get the hell out of there without getting shot in the back. That's why they want to talk about refugees and the proper meals and all the rest of it. When they gave up that air base, they gave up our strategic superiority. That's what they did. When they pulled the military out and then had to bring more military in to Fort Kabul, that's what it became. They put us in an untenable strategic position. Absolutely untenable. And when they did all of this, they ensured that we will not get every American citizen out of Afghanistan. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Well, we only had two choices. No, we had many choices. 
Like, leave it alone. Leave the border alone. Leave our voting system alone. But no. No. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. General, who seems like a nice enough guy, by the way, it seems like put in this position, he's not really involved in making the combat decisions, but in dealing with the refugees and so on. We've got thousands of people being flown into this country, many of them through Dulles Airport in Northern Virginia. And they use the phrase, and he's not the only one, we offer them the opportunity to be vaccinated, Mr. Producer. Excuse me? We have the Biden administration directing everybody in the military, every federal contractor, you better be vaccinated. Okay. We've got school districts in this country doing the same thing. We've got the Biden administration pressuring private companies to do the same thing. Broadcast companies, soft drink companies and all that. You better get a vaccine. But if you're a refugee, we're just going to offer you the opportunity to get a vaccine. What is this? Other than insanity. I'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. Victor Davis Hanson is one of our wise men. We don't have many left. And... uh, expert on ancient history and culture and so forth and you know the fall of rome is actually relatively complicated nobody knows exactly when it happened historians debate but it did fall and so victor davis hansen i want to ask you a question are we in decline because it sure feels that way to me yeah we're in decline mark and the, the main question is whether it's a decline that's uh permanent or we're such an adaptive fluid society with this wonderful constitution that we can react to it, make the necessary adjustments and go on. But this, this, this challenge is a little bit different than the ones we've seen before because this wokeness is insidious. It appeals to the most tribal instincts of people to identify by superficial appearance. And it's a narcotic that really destroys societies. We saw that in the Balkans and Rwanda. That's the ultimate trajectory we're on if we keep it up. Now, Afghanistan, you know, I, I, I watch this, 
And uh, and the media, in many respects, play along here, to be perfectly honest with you. I watch. They give up. You're also a military expert in many ways, historian. You give up the main air base to the enemy. They release thousands and thousands of terrorists, including this ISIS-K that I never heard of before until three days ago. ISIS-K. Now, the Taliban released them. Now we're supposed to believe that they don't get along. Okay, well, they got along long enough to allow them out of that prison. Then we create what is basically the Alamo, right? Fort Kabul Airport. We put all our troops in one place. We send in more troops. The Taliban encircle it. We have no ability at forward movement except to send some commandos and special forces out. In the meantime, we have American citizens throughout that country, and the number incredibly keeps going down, the number of estimate of how many we have. Then, um, then 13 of our men are, are killed. They're murdered. Uh, and and uh, the answer is, see, this proves my mission is correct, that we need to get out of there as fast as possible. We have over 100,000 people coming into our country at some point. Many of them, you know, open arms. I've got all that. But I hear them say, Victor, I am going to get to a question. Don't worry, but I'm furious about this. We're going to give them an opportunity to be vaccinated? When they're telling everyone in the military you will be vaccinated? What the hell's going on here? No, I think it's a, tri- uh, it's a triumph of our therapeutic culture. I mean, I heard the State Department whine ad nauseum today about the inadequacies of the Karzai Airport. And I'm thinking, well, you had the best airport in the Middle East, Bagram. And you're right. It was fortified. It was huge. We put over three or $400 million in it. We had prisoners that were, could not be tampered with. And we just walked away from it. And then I heard uh, General McKenzie yesterday say, well, you know, we don't want to impugn the, the Taliban, more or less, he said. We, they, they're, they're providing security. And they have – this is what he said, Mark. They have the same agenda as we do, that we should be out quickly by August 31st. So why would they try to be, be in cahoots with the uh, suicide bombers? I think, no, they don't have the same agenda as we do. Their agenda is that we're out by August 31st in shame humiliation, death, and destruction. Ours is we're out by apparently the 31st without any of that. We have contrary antithetical agendas. He's the guy in charge. And I I, I listened to today, and it was all about cultural sensitive food for the refugees, and you made the good point about the vaccination. They gave breakdowns on gender. That was very nice. But we're only one day away from 13 people being killed, and we have not yet heard how it happened, why it happened, what exactly we're going to do about it. They whack so eloquently about this wonderful airlift, and I'm very proud that we're doing this, but they don't want to say a word about how we got into this situation so we can learn from these mistakes. It's, and then when they talk about the Taliban and with lists, they gave the Taliban a list of names, and the Taliban are the new Taliban. Well, as soon as we get out and they have nothing to fear, they will be the regular Taliban. They're not the older Taliban. They're always the Taliban. And they're going to hunt down people all over there. We're going to have a thousand Bo Bergdahls. Just take my word for it. And this therapeutic administration, I don't, uh, it's hard to know. Everybody's confused, Mark, because they don't understand what the catalyst is. Is he cognitively challenged? Is he just uh, so far left a captive? Or is he trying to outdo Barack Obama himself? 
or what's going on. But uh, and then these military people can they can lecture us on white rage. They can lecture us on Professor Kendi's text. They can the sergeant major yesterday of the army said that this was diversity day and we've got to celebrate that same day that people got killed. I mean, what? Why can't they just do one thing? Just one big thing, and that is win wars and protect Americans. And they seem like they can't do that. Maybe it's because they can't that they do all this other stuff. But it's, it's really getting scary because when you mentioned decline, the weaponization and the ID, uh, you know, the ideological taint of the military is one of the chief characteristics of a declining society. Victor, I want you to listen to this. This is this General Mark Milley, who I think is a disaster, the head of the Joint Chiefs. He is your PC general when we need a George Patton, quite frankly. And I'd like you to listen. This is way back June 23rd. June 23rd. Cut five. Go. Is it at all possible to keep Bagram Air Force Base? Could, could I make a, uh, a comment, Secretary, if that... So uh, a couple of quick comments here uh, on Bagram. Bagram um, is not necessary tactically or operationally for what we're going to try to do here with, with Afghanistan. Uh, consolidate on uh, uh, Kabul um, with, in support of their government. This was the plan. What did I say? June 20th. This was the plan two months ago. This was the plan two months ago to give up that air base. I, I, I mean, uh, Listen. I'm not a military oh, guy. You're not a military guy. We're pedestrians. But my God, we can figure this out. You don't give up that air base, do you? No, we've heard about it for 20 years, that this was the keystone of Afghanistan, that the Eisenhower administration built it. The Russians took it over and enhanced it. We went in there and really poured the money in. It was defensible. It was impregnable. It's, it was a multi-purpose uh, runway. We had all sorts of other uh, military type we had marines we had special forces based there we had prisoners kept there it was the whole protective uh, hub of our you know of our, our presence in afghanistan and now he keeps talking about over the horizon on the horizon well we didn't need on the horizon we had it right there and trump left 2500 3000 people that could defend it as long as that was there contractors were servicing helicopters for the afghans you could have Decide if you wanted to withdraw, you could have done it over a year and a half period, mm-hmm. or you could have. We hadn't lost anybody when Trump left office for an entire year, so I don't know what the idea was. It was just to make it so chaotic that then you say, well, there was no alternative. Uh, Biden says I inherited this policy that was terrible, so I had to adhere to it. But I liked the policy because I agreed with it. But it was Trump's fault. It, it's just incoherent, and uh, it, I think it's because. We're at a period in our history where we're not taking time to to ask what's important. It's food, it's fuel, it's safety, it's security, and that's and it's our constitution. That's about it. We don't have time for uh, you know proportional representation, disparate impact, the cancel culture, this therapeutic idea. When they talk about diversity and and culturally sensitive, I think are we going to look at the dead? and say this particular group died in disproportionate to their uh, representation in the demography. This is where it's all going, and, we're, and we don't understand that we're postmodern, and we're dealing with pre-modern people. Mm-hmm. And we always thought our technology and our sophistication could, could trump their ability, you know, their willingness to die and go to heaven and all that. But I don't know. We're, we're fulfilling their, char- their characters of who we are as postmodern 
confuse people. And I don't, it's very hard to, the media seemed like during the headlights, Mark, for the, a moment or so, they were, oh my God, our guy is doing this. We covered up his dementia. Were we responsible? Oh my gosh, the guys in the Congress are more worried about the midterm. And then all of a sudden they took a deep breath and they thought, you know, it's Biden or bus. We've got to close ranks and go mm-hmm. back to what we were doing originally and, and so prop him up. And that's where we are now again. I want you to listen to President Trump on August 21st, 2017, because here's what we know about Trump. He doesn't do this from an ideological standpoint. Okay, he's got principles, but he's flexible in terms of uh, of uh, of tactics and so forth. That's why we still have a couple thousand in uh, Iraq. That's why we have about a thousand in Syria uh, and so forth. And I want you to listen to this, Victor. Cut four, go. The consequences of a rapid exit are both predictable and unacceptable. 9-11, the worst terrorist attack in our history, was planned and directed from Afghanistan because that country was ruled by a government that gave comfort and shelter to terrorists. A hasty withdrawal would create a vacuum that terrorists, including ISIS and al-Qaeda, would instantly fill, just as happened before September 11th. That was August 21, 2017, four years ago, hat tip to Hannity. Does that sound like somebody who would have done what Biden did, Victor? No, I mean, Trump was basically saying that after 20 years, the military and diplomatic establishments had not made the case in a cost-benefit analysis that we should be there forever. Okay, and then he said, but wait a minute. If I pull out, like most Americans want us to do, I've got to do it in a way that preserves deterrence, that preserves the lives and livelihoods of millions of people that we've westernized and gives us a security presence if we have any, you know, untoward scenario develop. And he was doing that. And then I think at some point, it could have been six months from now, it could have been a year, somebody would have said, okay, it's stabilized enough and it'll last, or it's not. And they'll make a decision whether to stay there or not, because there was only about 2,500 people there. No, no deaths. And all of the major, gosh, Mark, we left $85 billion in military equipment. That's 80% of all the military equipment we've given Israel in its uh, 70-year history. People complain about military aid to Israel. This was about 60 years' worth of it, and we just wrote it off. We we gave them a billion-dollar remodeled embassy. We gave them a $300 million Air Force Base. They, they're not just a backward people now. They are the most uh, well-armed terrorist organization in every aspect uh, in the Middle East now. It, it's just, nobody talks about it. I thought, wow, are they going to bomb the weapons? Are they going to have a night raid and take back backroom? Are they, that, surely they're planning that, and they didn't do any of it. Now, I know you have a lot of demands on your time. Do you have another five minutes or no? Yeah, I do. Okay, I have a couple more questions I want to ask you, so please stick with us. We'll be right back with Victor Davis Hanson. Davis Hanson, the location of this air base is crucially important, too. Where is it located? 
Well, it's, it's located right outside Kabul, not too far, and it's. But for our purposes, it's only about a thousand miles to Tehran, and and it's, it's close to right China on, and Russia too, right? In chi- chi- China and Russia too. So if you look at the geostrategic map, we've got three primary challengers: economic, military, and cultural. Um, China, Russia, and Iran, and we're right there. And it's kind of very defensible because it's a mountainous country, and uh, we also have Pakistan. That's we call it an ally, Mark, but by yeah. traditional metrics, it's probably not. We got India on the other side, so it's a way of us. And that's why there was never any natural resources there. There was not a lot of farmland. But going back to antiquity, whether it was the Silk Road route in Alexander the Great or the British Empire worried about the uh, Punjab. It was always centrally located in that part of the world. didn't mean that we went over there and took it, but we said once they started it, the Taliban, we're going to finish it. And then we spent all this money and blood and treasure, and we hadn't lost anybody, as I said, in a year. And it was very inexpensive to keep. It propped up a westernized population of about 10 million in the cities of Afghanistan. And it just doesn't make any sense. And then pulling out the soldiers and leaving the civilian contractors and diplomatic people there. It doesn't make any sense. We've never done anything like this in our history. I, I just can't. I think we're more bewildered than even angry yet because it's not. It's so un-American to do these things. And to let all these terrorists out of a prison that we spend blood in the lives of American soldiers and Afghan soldiers to capture, to let them out of this prison by the thousands? I mean... He should be impeached for that it. alone, in my opinion. Well, given the low bar of impeachment, this is sure a lot more yep. injurious to the United States than so-called phone call about Ukrainian corruption. But we gave them 7,000 machine guns. We gave them 20,000 grenades. We gave them 600,000 automatic weapons. We gave them night vision goggles. We gave them 3,000 RPGs. So we basically gave them all the weapons for terrorist urban warfare. And that's not counting the thousands of Humvees and all the other stuff. But it was like we just said, have, have this country. It'll be a terrorist mart where you can sell and buy weapons for the next 20 years. And our, and our soldiers are going to have to come over here sometime and fight you. And they're going to look just like us. Same uniform, same weapons, same everything. And it, it, it's worse than 9-11, before 9-11, because now they're yep. full of pride and, and jubilation. They defeated us, and, they, and they're so much better armed. And they control the whole damn country. They do. They do. And I, I think at this, I, I kept thinking all night last night, I couldn't sleep. I thought, yeah. I'm going to wake up and they're going to have a rapid deployment and they're going to just take that air base at night. And then they're going to remake a new perimeter. And then they're going to go up and arm the Northern Alliance. So they're going to do something like that because we are, we do not fight well in the Western way of war to stay fixed and let a bunch of urban people and terrorists attack us with suicide bombing. We are a mobile heavily dependent on firepower, overwhelming logistics. We, that's how we fight. We bomb, we shell, uh, and we move fast and at night. And I thought that's the type of warfare that we need to do, not just sit there and be a fixed target where we beg the Taliban to cooperate and promulgate these lies that they've somehow had some kind of enlightenment and they're a new Taliban. It's so bizarre. It's almost lunatic. Well, this is going to shock you. This is breaking the New York Post. White House ditch talks with anti-Taliban resistance movement. The Biden administration has cut off communication 
with the anti-Taliban resistance group, the National Resistance Front, since the Taliban took control of Afghanistan nearly two weeks ago. Ali Nasre, the head of foreign relations for the group, told the Washington Examiner that while he tried to reach out, they haven't received any response. They're trying to build a resistance now, like the Northern Alliance, and Biden has cut them off. He's cut yeah, them I think, off. I think that was... I think we know how that happened. We had information that Mr. Burns, the CIA, had, had flown in there, and I think he, he met with them, and they said, look, we've got X number of thousands of people, and we know where they are, and this is what's going to happen to you unless you get out at this particular time, you cut off all aid to the northern resistance, uh, you, you give us money under the table. So that's what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And. In that, in the, it's a lot of people are going to die. A lot of people have died. A lot more are going to die. This is not. Listen, they think this is the end. This is the beginning. You're right, and I want to thank you. Please keep it up. Please keep out being a messenger out there. Your voice is crucial, and God bless you, my friend. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Mr. Davis Hanson. Really a superstar, and... He was explaining what I was trying to explain yesterday. When you come, become weak from within, when you have the various aspects of our civil society and our culture devoured by what I call this American Marxist movement, you can see the reactions are abnormal. You can see how morality is rejected. You can see how spin is accepted. You can see how a society begins to unravel and fold on itself. That's the whole point of American Marxism. That's the whole point of the book. That's why I wrote the book. We have got to push back against this. It's actually costing lives. It's undermining our military. It's undermining our police force. It's destroying our sovereignty. It's about to destroy our economic system and our constitutional system if they get the vote that they want in a month or two. That's why you can spend what Biden's going to spend over $10 trillion if he gets his way over the course of the next few months, actually over $12 trillion. Think about that. Having already spent two, and not not a penny more for national security. Not a penny more for national security. We have to re-educate our children and our grandchildren. We have to re-educate our colleagues and our neighbors, our friends. We have to re-educate and take back our society. We have to point out the dangers of this American Marxism. It's in our corporations, for crying out loud. You have Republicans who want to go bipartisan with it. As I sit here, as I talk to you, the southern border hasn't changed at all in the last few months. It's not leaking. 
there's a flood taking place on the southern border. Talk about climate change. This is ideological change. And we can, it's going to be up to us. It's going to be up to us to push back. We have a nice weekend coming. Nice in the sense that you can focus on family for a little bit. I understand how frustrated you are and how upset you are. I can't sleep either. Thinking about what happened to those men, thinking about what's going to happen, thinking about our citizens, thinking about all of it. But now is the time to fight back, to push back, ladies and gentlemen. And to call a spade a spade, American Marxism. To call out the people who are behind it, to call out the groups that are behind it. Including the Democrat Party, which is the political manifestation of the entire movement. Please join us. Please help us. We need as much help as we can get. Spread the word. Spread the word. Wokeism, they call it. I call it American Marxism. Because wokeism is too passive. It's too ambiguous. American Marxism punches them right in the nose, right where they deserve it. Figuratively speaking, of course. Now, I want to get back to this, which I raised at the end of the first hour. Let me go to the original source, the Washington Examiner. Anti-Taliban resistance says White House silent as Afghanistan fell. By Catherine Doyle, White House correspondent. The spokesman and head of foreign relations for Afghan resistance leader, Ahmad Mossad. This is the son of the former leader of the Northern Alliance, who used to kick the crap out of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. The Northern Alliance, an alliance of certain tribal groups and so forth. And they murdered him. They murdered him. So his son is leading this resistance. The former vice president of Afghanistan, while the president took off, apparently with a lot of money, the vice president did not take off. He joined the resistance. I bet you haven't even heard that, have you? But Ahmad Mossad said the Biden administration has not been in touch with the group since the Taliban insurgents seized control of Afghanistan this month. So Biden doesn't want to support them. And Victor Davis Hanson is right. His suggestion was... Well, they have a list of our citizens now. They have a list of our citizens. So if you step out of line, maybe we'll kill a couple of them. And a couple of weeks ago, I said to you, they talk about we're in negotiations with the Taliban. Remember, this was when the Taliban was taking over the country, before the situation today. They were negotiating with the Taliban. Remember what I said? What are they giving them? We know Biden has no problem giving billions of dollars to the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran that is building nuclear weapons that can be put on ICBMs and hit the continental United States, let alone Hawaii and Alaska, to completely change the Middle East. And I know the Prime Minister of Israel... That was a coup if there ever was one. Naftali Bennett 
talks a good game in front of the camera, but I bet he didn't talk such a tough game behind the door. And what he should have told Biden, of course, is uh, we're not giving any land away. We're not cutting deals with terrorists and pal- the Palestinians. And uh, our focus now is stopping Iran from getting nukes. Are you in or out? Are you in or out? I tried to reach out. Unfortunately, we haven't received any type of response from them, said Ali Nasri, head of foreign relations for the National Resistance Front. That is, for those Americans who never fought side by side with Afghans, but know everything because they're on cable TV or they're on radio, they know everything and they cherry pick their guests in order to push their ideology. This is not about ideology, it's about prudence. It's about strategy and tactics. The Afghans will fight. They will fight. And they now have a national resistance front. The point is, our political leadership won't fight. You can't wash your hands of this stuff. You know, it's almost akin to the defund the police movement. It's almost akin to the defund police. We know what will happen if we undermine our cops. We'll have violence. We'll even have murder. The rule of law will be abandoned. And we have this in many of our, particularly inner cities, our poor neighborhoods. But all over the country. Well, the same with the military. If you have that same approach to the United States military, which is, hey, look, 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 I know. That's way, way, way over there. They're the terrorists way over there, although they hit us all the way over here, didn't they? Right in our biggest city. They hit our Pentagon, for God's sakes. If you are an ostrich and put your head in the sand, you're going to get killed. You're going to get hit. Look at the rise of Hitler in the Third Reich. The British government couldn't believe it. They wanted nothing to do with it. They felt they cut a deal. Everything's going to be okay. Even though they knew better. Even though they knew better. And so Hitler gets stronger and stronger and more and more powerful and more and more powerful. While Britain and not just Britain and other countries are relatively passive. They're not building up their military to confront a possible enemy. And neither are we. Trump built it up. And Biden's, of course, flatlining it. He's flatlining it. Well, it's the same thing here. You're going to take the power of the United States military away. Look, you've got demagogues on our side, too. Okay, let's just be honest. Keep talking about a 20-year war. Keep talking about sending in hundreds of thousands of troops. Keep talking in ways... It wasn't a 20-year war, and we're not sending in hundreds of thousands of troops. We had 2,500 non-combat troops there. Looks pretty good, doesn't it now? Look pretty good. Then they say, Biden. Then they they regurgitate what Biden says, which is a flat-out lie. And his spokes idiot, Pasaki, flat-out lie. And this guy, Milley, should have his ass fired immediately, but he won't. But he won't. Any general who agreed to give up that air base should lose their stars and their colors and be thrown to the street. 
As I said last week, these guys are going to go down in history as the worst generals ever. And there's going to be books written about what a disaster they are. What a complete disaster. They- and I said, look, I can't say it enough. We're saying we know better than 50-50, the media reporting, through their various sources, that we're going to get hit again at Fort Kabul. Not that the enemy's going to get hit. Not that they have us to fear. Not that we're going to kick their ass. No. Fort Kabul is going to get hit. But we're all ready to get hit. You're a general. You're the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Presumably you went to the best military school. Presumably you have military experience. You worked your way up the chain. Presumably you have leadership skills. You, you understand strategy and tactics. And you did this? Now let me tell you what he did. He likes being head of the Joint Chiefs. He likes being, when he goes to the Pentagon, the big dog. These are all Biden's decisions. And yet, despite how heroic they may have been on the battlefield, when it comes to politics in Washington, they're cowards. They're cowards. When we come back, I want to show you a man who's not a general. He's not the head of the Joint Chiefs. Who is not a coward. I'll be right back. in. Colonel Stuart Scheller has essentially given up his career as a Marine because he knew what he was about to do would cost him his career in the Marine Corps. And he put a video message up on his Facebook site, and here is what he said. Cut 13, go. But the reason people are so upset on social media right now is not because the Marine on the battlefield let someone down. That service member has always rose to the occasion, done extraordinary things. People are upset because their senior leaders let them down, and none of them are raising their hands and accepting accountability or saying, we messed this up. If an 05 battalion commander has uh, the simplest live fire incident EO complaint, boom, fired. But we have a secretary of defense that testified to Congress in May that the Afghan National Security Force could withstand the Taliban advance. We have chairman's a joint chief who the commandant is a member of that who's supposed to advise on military policy we have a marine combatant commander all of these people are supposed to advise and i'm not saying we've got to be in the in afghanistan forever but i am saying did any of you throw your rank on the table and say hey it's a bad idea to evacuate bagram airfield the strategic air barriers before we evacuate everyone did anyone do that and when you didn't think to do that did anyone raise their hand and say we completely messed this up i've got Battalion commander friends right now that are posting similar things, and they're saying, you know, wondering if it, all the lives were lost and, and if it was in vain, all those, all those people that we've lost over the last you know, 20 years. And he goes on to say that we're all part of a chain. While every link may not be tested, the strength of the chain is only as strong as each link, and you got to be, you know, good link, something like that. And what I'll say is, and from my position, potentially all those people did die in vain if we don't have senior leaders that own up and, and raise their hand and say, 
we did not do this well in the end. Without that, we just keep repeating the same mistakes, this amalgamation of the economic slash corporate slash political slash higher military ranks are not holding up their end of the bargain. I want to say this very strongly. I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. This is a remarkable man. And apparently in the end, he will have thrown it all away in that sense. But I bet you he speaks for tens of thousands of men and women in uniform who are disgusted by what they're seeing. And I noticed that Joe Biden and some of these generals hide behind these soldiers. They say they're doing a fantastic job. Of course they're doing a fantastic job. They're American soldiers. They're the best and brightest we have as a people. It's you in the top echelon. You're the disaster. It's the commander-in-chief, so to speak. He's the disaster. And it's too bad we can't court-martial him, as suggested by retired British Colonel Richard Kemp, who led British forces in Afghanistan through a very rough period. Very rough period. And it's men and women who are prepared to fight for this country, who love this country, who've been abused by the senior brass with critical race theory, who've been called all kinds of names, who are pushed around and bullied. And then, when we've had disastrous strategy followed by disastrous tactics as a result of, of this numbskull in the Oval Office, they tell us our men and women in the military deserve our praise. You bet they deserve our praise. This is an all-volunteer military. These men and women volunteer. Well, the vast majority of us don't. But the generals need to stop hiding behind the privates. And Biden needs to stop hiding behind the generals. We know who's responsible for this. Biden. The Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State, the National Security Advisor, the Vice President of the United States, the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I told you yesterday, I watched this General McKenzie yesterday. I was utterly put off by this man. I don't care what his background is. At the time he was speaking, we lost, I don't know if we knew if it was four at the time or 12. It it wasn't 13 at the time. And he kept talking about the mission and what they were doing in a very mechanical, unhuman-like way. It was shocking, really, to listen to this McKenzie, who reports to the Secretary of Defense. And it's Biden, too. We're not going to allow them to divert us from our mission. What is your mission, pal? What is your mission? I'll be right back. 
American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. This Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox, Life, Liberty, and Levin, we have a tremendous show. And as I say, you say, Mark, you know, you say that every Sunday. Well, folks, it is a different kind of show. It is a long-form interview show. It's the kind of show I grew up on. It's not a conga line of guests. How many guests can we fit into a show? I don't do that. We take our time. And so I'm very careful about the guests that I select. And we have two really tremendous guests this Sunday. We have Dan Crenshaw and Brian Mast. Dan Crenshaw is extremely articulate and a great hero. He lost his right eye and much of his sight in his left eye. So he wears his wounds right on his face. And Brian Mast had both of his legs amputated and a finger on one of his hands. And he, too, wears his injuries every single day. These are two extraordinarily intelligent, passionate men. And rather than hearing from me or other people who, who have no battle scars and no battle experience... I want you to hear from them, because they fought in Afghanistan. I want you to hear from them. This may be the first time, certainly one of the rare times, where we have a president, a vice president, a secretary of state, and a national security advisor, none of whom have ever served in the military. None of whom have ever served in the military. This may be the first time. Even if it's not, it's very rare. So you basically have a couple of Ivy School types, Ivy League School types, and a man who plagiarized himself through law school, calling the shots. And one of the worst heads of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in modern American history. And a Secretary of Defense who, as a general, oversaw, as I recall, our withdrawal from Iraq and the buildup of ISIS. And you recall that our Secretary of Defense, Austin, as a general, told Obama that ISIS was the JV team. Remember that, Mr. Producer? So this is the collection, this is the brain trust that is advising the commander-in-chief, and he even ignores them. He even ignores them. We deserve better than this, America. We deserve better than this. This is our country. This is our country. We're going to suffer the consequences, including on the border, including what they plan to do, passing this phony budget with all the horrific social engineering changes and to empower the Democrat Party and their base. I was thinking about this the other day, if I could... Just take a bit of a turn here. If you hand somebody $10,000 to vote for you and your party, you'll go to prison for a very, very long time, right? You can't bribe people. That's fraud. You can't do these things. You can't buy people's votes, right? On the other hand, if you pass programs and 
expand the welfare state, to lure people into the Democrat Party, to lure people to vote for your candidates, that's considered righteous. And in that case, you're actually using tax dollars. It's just a different form of fraud and bribery. But that's okay, you see. If you do it individually, you're going to prison. If you do it as part of an ideological and political movement, a political party, you're getting votes. That's how sick this is. That's how sick this is. Speaking of Mark Levin, I was on primetime last night with Jesse Waters. He's a very good guy, by the way. Very smart guy. Uh, And funny. He's just a good guy. And uh, it's very kind of him to invite me to come on. I have a lot of good people at Fox who do that. I was invited to come on the weekend Fox and Friends show, but I can't for a variety of reasons. Just good people. But here's some of it. Cut 22, go. All right, Mark. So we've seen Benghazi. I know in the Reagan administration, you saw the Marine barracks in Lebanon happen. Where does this stack up in the annals of military blunders, in your opinion? I think this is the biggest blunder, as uh, Colonel Richard Kemp told me, who was head of British forces in Afghanistan since the end of World War II. Hmm. The ramifications of this are absolutely unbelievable. First of all, we just lost more men in this outrageous, boggled, messed up withdrawal than we lost in the last 18 months in Afghanistan. And the idea that you would create basically the Alamo, you'd have no air power, you'd have no external military support, so the enemy knows where to hit you, so the enemy knows to hit anybody who tries to get there. I don't know what kind of generals we have. Uh, I don't know what kind of uh, uh, advice this president's getting, but this president is a disaster. He's always been a disaster. He is reckless. He is dangerous. He is stubborn. And he's stupid. And now it's just cost us some lives. We still have, according to the State Department, 1,500 citizens over there. I suspect there's a lot more. Uh, They're not getting out. They're not getting out. What's going to happen to those people, let alone the tens of thousands of our ally citizens and our Afghan uh, allies? So, you know, I'm no, uh, I'm no military expert, but on the other hand, neither is Joe Biden. In fact, Joe Biden's not, his vice president's not, his secretary of state's not, his national security advisor's not. We have nobody with serious, on-hands military experience other than the secretary of defense, who appears to be utterly and completely feckless, and his Joint Chiefs, who seems to be one of the worst generals in modern American history. So uh, my attitude about this is we still haven't gotten out. It's still going to be increasingly dangerous to get out. And by the way, Jesse, I keep hearing, we'll do recriminations later. What do you mean we're going to do recriminations later? We need to know exactly what the hell's going on and who's responsible for it in real time. Recriminations in five months doesn't do us any good. Uh, People need to be held to account. You know, Abraham Lincoln in the middle of the Civil War didn't say, you know, we'll do the recriminations later with the generals. He was firing one general after another until he got one who could get the job done. Uh, The problem here is we can't fire the president of the United States, which is why I've been saying Republicans in the House need to start talking about impeachment a lot and strongly. I know who's behind him, Harris. I know who's belonged her, Pelosi. But we and the world need to know that we try to hold people account, accountable for what they've done. This cabinet, which is a joke, if they were working, they'd be looking at the 25th Amendment. We have a man in the White House now 
who has blown up more than half a century of American national security, the norms. All he wanted to do in this mission is get the military out of Afghanistan, 2,500 troops. Well, he hasn't succeeded, has he? He sent in more troops, and it was never going to succeed when you pull out the military before you pull out the citizens, and yet our guys are sitting ducks there. I, I don't, and you know, and the media now, the corrupt media, yesterday or the day before, they were talking about, the, you know, Joe Biden's not getting the uh, credit that he deserves. This is the greatest airlift in American history. Airlift? This is a surrender, the worst American surrender in American history. And now we have some dead troops, which he said he wanted to avoid. Well, now they have some explaining to do, don't they? It's shocking that they compare the Berlin airlift to this. Again, we have the best soldiers on the face of the earth. It is very nice that the Secretary of State and the President of the United States and the Democrats are now saying so. Because before that, they were treating them as white supremacists. Disgusting and outrageous. This is an airlift resulting from a horrific surrender. It was made by Joe Biden. That's why we're having airlifts like this. Cut 23, go. Yeah, he said, knock on wood, no dead soldiers yet. And now we know what happened there. So you're saying, in your opinion, that the 25th Amendment is in play. I know you believe impeachment should be in play when the Republicans take out, take the House back. Do you think the 25th Amendment is being talked about? No. And I think it's going to take pressure from the outside. It's harder to do than impeachment because it requires the cabinet to take action. But the cabinet sits and they know what they're dealing with. They're dealing with a dithering buffoon. We see it in front of the camera. Why do you think he turns around and walks away? Because his Fengali, Ron Klain, tells him, don't take any questions. Don't screw things up. He can barely get words out. Complicated words are made into two or three syllables. We all know what's going on. The communist Chinese, the Russians, our allies in Israel and Germany and France, the whole world knows what's going on. But our media protect him. The Democrat Party nominate him. Pelosi, hey, look, Pelosi, too. All this starts and she thinks she's praising Biden, that this is going swimmingly. This is just fantastic. She's such a hack. You know, we need people who are going to stand up. Prior generations, it didn't matter what party. You have American lives on the line. You have military lives on the line. We came together and we did what we had to do. We have to fix this fast, including internally in this country, because he's incapable of leading this country. He's incapable of making sound decisions. Yeah, that's clear. He just doesn't function that properly. Is, that is 100% clear. All right. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Barry, Alexandria, Virginia, the great WMAL. Barry, go right ahead, please. <clears throat> Mark, I love your stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm a retired Air Force uh, fighter pilot, and I watch this, and I have two points to make. One is people are wondering, how could this be happening? How could this be happening? So my, my sources tell me that Biden set a limit on troops, like no new, no additional troops for Milley and uh, the SecDef to be able to arrange this withdrawal. 
and and he never wavered from that. Mm-hmm. But he did concede and say, look, you can have 600 Marines to to uh, protect Bagram, and I think the uh, and the chairman and the military advice was, well, we can't we can't do the withdrawal, protect Bagram and the embassy. We can't do both. We'll give up Bagram. We'll protect the embassy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the anything you hear from the Biden administration flack that the military got everything they wanted, is getting everything they wanted, that's rubbish. The second thing is, how could this be happening to the best military this world has ever seen? And the only, you have to consider, you consider all the alternatives, but one of them is, this is what they want. They've, 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 they've attacked. This, this is what who wants, I'm sorry. By closing down their churches during the pandemic. Oh, you're talking about these American Marxists. Go right ahead. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. They're trying to crush the oil and gas industry. They're mm-hmm. trying to crush the economy. The, the inflation will ruin every retired person's bank account. Mm-hmm. They're trying to destroy America in the eyes of the world, which is carrying on what Obama was doing. You have to look at this as something that was intended to have a disaster, maybe not the loss of life. I'm not, I would not go that far. But I would say that the military is the last standing institution that hasn't come under attack by these leftist Marxists. Mm-hmm. And it's now, I think, under attack. Well, you're right. The outcome was predictable. Uh, but this is why I have no regard for Millie, Barry, because uh, you heard that lieutenant colonel. He put it all on the line and effectively... Uh, gave up his career. I'm not expecting everyone to do that, but when you're the head of the Joint Chiefs and you know you shouldn't be giving up that air base, and he testified in June that we should give it up, then you need to leave. Barry, don't hang up. I want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism, and I want to thank you for your service as a former fighter pilot. God bless you, my friend. I want to go to Mike in Woodstock, Illinois, on the Mark Levin app, who is also a vet. Mike, how are you, sir? Um, pleasure to talk to the great Mark Levin. Thank you. Um, I was in the Navy when uh, we had the uh, uh, World Trade Center and all that stuff. I was appalled back then, and you know, just what he's trying to do to our military, and you know, I'm very upset about that. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it. He's never trusted the military. That's the word. He's never trusted the military. Go right ahead. That's happened. They're cowards. Well, I, I, have my own, I have my own theory on this that I kind of touched on the other day, Mike, which is he wanted the military pulled out first because he disagreed with what Obama did with the military, uh, where Obama poured more troops in there to push back a Taliban offensive. Biden told him that he was being, uh, he was being rolled by the military. He's always had this, oddly enough, hostility toward the military despite his son Bo's service. And I think it was in the JAG Corps or so forth, but whatever it was. And um, uh, he distrusts them. But, you know, if I'm the head of the Joint Chiefs and I just see I lost three men, excuse me, 13 men, and I am in part responsible for this strategy, uh, but if I really feel that Biden put a gun to my head, I mean, my God, to just keep doing this and just fall in line like this, it's just shocking to me. Please don't hang up, Mike. We're going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. And I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. 
now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Don't forget, very important show Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern. If you can't watch it, I hope you'll DVR it. On Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox, two tremendously important guests. Um, Brian Mast, congressman from Florida, who obviously was uh, in the military in Afghanistan and lost both of his legs and part of a hand. And Dan Crenshaw from Texas, congressman also, who fought in Afghanistan and lost sight in one eye and his other eye is doing quite poorly, actually. But their insight is unbelievable. And when you actually give them time to talk, not talking about three minutes, five minutes, on with 12 different people, each one separately, You can see the brilliance, and you can also see the experience, and it's very important to hear from these men. But I want you to hear from President Trump. He was on Hannity last night, and it was a tremendous interview by Sean with the president. And I want you to hear a little piece of this, uh, because I have something additional to say about it and try and set this straight once and for all. So stick with me. It'll all make sense. Cut three, go. No, they have the cards with this group, and there are things you can do to counter it and things you can do to counter it very strongly, but they have the cards. But when you say Secretary of State, when you watch the decisions that are going to be made and being made, and you know what's going to be made because they played all their cards, and look at the great job that Mike Pompeo did because he's tough and he's smart. Number one in his class at West Point and a great student at the Harvard Law School. He, was, he did a great job as Secretary of State, but he was tough, and he knew what was happening with this, and he knew what was happening with China and Russia, and we would talk often. We had it all planned out, and then they decided to move the military out, and let's not follow the plan. It's like the only thing is it's like the border wall, and nobody could handle it worse. We had the greatest... We had the greatest protection that we've ever had on our southern border, and now we have the worst. And it was the worst nightmare to watch it. That looks good by comparison to what's happening in Afghanistan. Okay. Now, something shocking happened. The Associated Press and our friend at Right Scoop, Brian, pointed it out. That Biden has been saying all along that he was pinned into withdrawing from Afghanistan based on Trump's agreement with the Taliban. And he said more than that. Or we had to pour in, you know, an enormous number of military resources. But stunningly, the AP points out how untrue Biden's claims are. Here's what the AP reported in part. Very important. As President Donald Trump's administration signed a peace deal with the Taliban in February 2020... He optimistically proclaimed that we think we'll be successful in the end. His Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, asserted that the administration was seizing the best opportunity for peace in a generation. Eighteen months later, President Joe Biden is pointing to the agreement signed in Doha, Qatar, as he tries to deflect blame for the Taliban overrunning Afghanistan in a blitz. He says it bound him to withdraw U.S. troops, setting the stage for the chaos engulfing the country. 
But Biden can only go so far in claiming the agreement boxed him in. This is AP. It had an escape clause. The U.S. could have withdrawn from the accord if Afghan peace talks failed. They did. But Biden chose to stay in it, although he delayed the complete pullout from May to September. Got that? They go on. U.S. officials made clear at the time that the agreement was conditions-based. The AP. And the failure of intra-Afghan peace talks to reach a negotiated settlement would have nullified the requirement to withdraw. One day before the Doha deal, a top aide to chief U.S. negotiator, Zameh Khalazad, said the agreement was not irreversible. And there is no obligation, quote, for the United States to withdraw troops if the Afghan parties are unable to reach agreement or if the Taliban show bad faith, unquote, during negotiations. Those negotiations were intended to begin within a month of the deal being signed, but were delayed amid disputes between the Taliban and the Afghan government over prisoner releases. Amid fits and starts, the negotiated had not produced any outcome by the time Biden announced his withdrawal decision in April, nor have they done so since. So just as Trump has said, Right Scoop points out, it was conditions-based. There was no obligation to pull troops out if the Taliban and Afghan government couldn't come to an agreement. Add to that how Trump made clear to the Taliban that he'd rain fire and brimstone on the Taliban if they tried any bad stuff, quote-unquote. So what's really going on here is that Biden wanted to bring our troops even though he wasn't obligated to do so and didn't care about the consequences of a hasty, awkward pullout. And now they blame Trump for this catastrophe. It's truly pathetic. So let me underscore this. Let me underscore this. Because the lying continues. In the agreement, which I think is like six or ten pages long, there are conditions each step of the way. And in the end, there needed to be a negotiated peace agreement, a negotiated joint government. It never happened. Nonetheless, Joe Biden went forward. President Trump says he would not have gone forward. The point is, this agreement never boxed in Biden to anything. At all. Period. Biden is saying that the agreement forced him to pull the troops out or to pour in Massive amounts of military resources. I just read this to you. It requires neither. Neither. Even before we get to the issue of how outrageous this kind of a pullout was. Shutting the base, pulling our Air Force out, pulling the military out, pulling our intelligence out, leaving American citizens there, leaving our allies there, leaving Afghan support, building what is essentially... Fort Kabul, like the Alamo, where they can't strike, they have no exterior uh, uh, military support. Even putting all that aside, Biden wasn't required to do anything. You hear the media say, and they try to be supportive, 
of the fact that Biden did this on his own. Hey, look, he ripped up all the other agreements. He didn't have to follow this one. He didn't follow this one. It wasn't even a matter of ripping up the agreement. He didn't follow it. And Trump did not pull out the troops before he left because the terms weren't met. So it's not even a matter, hey, Biden throws away, reverses everything. There was nothing to reverse. Under this agreement, the agreement becomes null and void. It has a trigger mechanism in it to force the Taliban to negotiate with the Afghan government and for there to be a mutual agreement. It didn't happen. So it wasn't a matter of, hey, you know, he didn't have to reverse it, you know. Trump didn't box him in. Trump boxed in the Taliban. And he had the the air base with our Air Force. He had the intel. And yes, the Afghan fighters to back it up. And it was working. It was working. Why mess with it? It was working. You're being lied to day and night. Now, I hope this is clearly understood now. That this agreement required the Taliban to negotiate with the Afghan government and for them to agree on conditions for a new government and peace. It didn't happen. And so under the agreement, Trump was not going to pull out the remaining 2,500 troops, non-combat troops. He was not going to shut down the air base and pull out our air force. He was not going to pull out the intelligence. He was not going to do any of those things. I told you, Donald Trump is not an ideologue. He's a man of principle, and he believes in flexible tactics to enforce his principles. You saw it in Iraq. You saw it in Syria. And you saw it in Afghanistan. And you saw he's a man of his word. He took out Soleimani because Soleimani, under his authority, they shot missiles into our embassy in Iraq. You saw what he did to Baghdadi and ISIS in the Middle East. He reversed course of this Secretary of Defense, Austin, when he was a general. He reversed course of the then Vice President of the United States, Biden. They're the ones who created the caliphate, ultimately. And it was Trump. He was the one that destroyed it. Under the Trump presidency, this was not a surrender agreement. This was not a withdrawal or an evacuation agreement. There were conditions. And nobody knows that better than General Milley, who sits there and says not a damn thing when Biden lies to the American people. He's a disgrace. He's a disgrace. JV team is back, ladies and gentlemen. ISIS-K, right? Right, Obama? Where's Obama? How come he's not tweeting? How come he's not putting out a video? Where's Michelle Obama? How come she's so quiet? For that matter, where's George W. Bush, Mr. Producer? Where's Dick Cheney? Where are they? They were thrilled. And I'm going to add one other point. The never-Trumpers. Fools like Mona Charon. And many more. 
they too cheered for Joe Biden. It was they who thought that Trump was reckless, you know. They did all they could to destroy Trump and his supporters using what meager platforms they had. Dumb bastards, really. Truly. And they got what they want. Bill Crystal. Bill Crystal is a buffoon. The Lincoln Project. What happened to them? Well, they had a pervert. They had money issues. Sorry, they had a, you know. They had a great advisor, I understand. Unpaid, though. Senior advisor. Tom Nichols, everybody. Who's he? I know. Who cares? Who cares about about these fools who were wrong about everything? Wrong about everything. When Trump left office, NATO was stronger. Russia was sucking air because it couldn't get its pipeline. Communist China was on its heels because of what Trump had been doing to them economically and building up our military. And yes, selling jets and other military equipment to the Taiwanese. Syria stopped gassing its people because he hit them twice. Iran was being choked off economically. But hey, we needed stability. We needed Mr. Moderate, you know. The never-Trumpers, the Democrat Party, our disgusting, corrupt media got what they wanted. They got what they wanted. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Never in my life did I think I'd be reading to you what I'm about to read. Robert Kennedy's assassin moves closer to freedom with the help of two Kennedys. Associated Press, California's parole board voted today to free Robert F. Kennedy's assassin after two of his sons said they supported releasing him and prosecutors declined to argue he should be kept behind bars. But the governor ultimately will decide if Serhan Serhan leaves prison. Douglas Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. spoke on behalf of his release. Serhan smiled, thanked the board, gave a thumbs up after the decision to grant parole was announced. It was a major victory in his 16th attempt at parole, but it does not assure his release. The ruling will be reviewed over the next 90 days by the board staff. Then it will be sent to the governor, who will have 30 days to decide whether to grant it, reverse it, or modify it. If Sirhan is freed, he must live in a transitional home for six months, enroll in an alcohol abuse program, and get therapy. I'm surprised they won't be teaching him about critical race theory. As many of you know, most, Robert Kennedy was a United States Senator from New York, brother of President John Kennedy, who was also assassinated in 1963. Robert Kennedy, I remember this day like it was yesterday. I remember how horrific this was. Martin Luther King, too. All within a few months of each other. How horrific it all was. 
Robert Kennedy was seeking the Democratic presidential nomination when he was gunned down at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. Moments after delivering a victory speech in the pivotal California primary, five others were wounded. Sirhan, who insists he doesn't remember the shooting and had been drinking alcohol just beforehand, was convicted of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to day. He was actually a... Uh, he actually had a problem with Kennedy's position on Israel. He was Palestinian, or is. He was sentenced to death after his conviction, but that sentence was commuted to life when the California Supreme Court briefly outlawed capital punishment in 1972. Now, my damn state in Virginia has done the same thing. At his last parole hearing in 2016, commissioners concluded after more than three hours of intense testimony that Sirhan did not show adequate remorse or understand the enormity of his crime. Well, he couldn't. He was drunk. Don't you understand? He was drunk. This time, prosecutors declined to participate or oppose Sirhan's release under a policy by Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascon, who, of course, is a Soros prosecutor. Gascon, who said he idolized the Kennedys and mourned RFK's assassination believes the prosecutor's role ends at sentencing and they should not influence decisions to release prisoners. I'm speechless. I'm absolutely speechless. And one of the people shot during uh, the assassination also spoke in favor of Sirhan's release. He's 77 years old. They had had a death penalty there. There wouldn't be any debate now, would there? Really quite, a, quite, quite shocking. It, it's absolutely unbelievable to me. His two sons, one of the people shot. It's obviously Sirhan is remorseful. I mean, he was just drunk. I, uh, I mean, it's unbelievable to me. I don't know what else to say. I'll be right back. is the nation's town hall meeting and you can join in at 877-381-3811 you know i i remember i think i was 10 or 11 years old when martin luther king was assassinated on april 4th 1968 it was traumatizing to the entire nation it was unbelievable I remember my parents' reaction. Horror. Absolute horror. Two months later, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. June 6, 1968. Two months later. The impact is still enshrined in the memories of those of us who remember those two events. Remember those two events. It was so wrenching for the nation. I am, uh, look, I'm not going to substitute 
any recommendation that the two Kennedy sons would have given to this parole board. But I, I, as a citizen, as an American, I truly am shocked that somebody who assassinates uh, who, a man who would have been the Democrat nominee for president, potentially president, had been the attorney general of the United States, a senator of the United States, whose brother, president, had been assassinated, what, five, five and a half years earlier? Parole? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It, it, it's one man's opinion. I, uh, well, he's redeemed himself. No, he hasn't. He's lucky the death penalty was temporarily held unconstitutional. Now, I have uh, seen a picture that my wife sent to me of eight of the, well, seven Marines and the one Navy medic who were murdered at the Kabul airport. Handsome, young, red-blooded Americans. I don't care what they say about me and these crackpot websites and media columnists and the rest. This blood is on the hands of this administration. This did not have to happen. It certainly didn't have to happen this way. In retreat, in surrender. Go online, look at these men. We just say, oh, 13 men, 13 soldiers. Look at their faces. Look at who they are. Some of them with wives and girlfriends, little babies. All good, Mom. One of them writes to their mother. All good here, Mom. All good here, Mom. I, 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 honestly, I've never been so disgusted in my life. I, I really haven't with these, uh, with these various events. I've never been so disgusted in my life from this past summer to what that Democrat Party's trying to do to our country to the horrific open borders as a policy. Worst of all, this Afghanistan fiasco that has cost these wonderful, wonderful young Americans their lives in a surrender because of the man in the Oval Office and the people advising him. And they told the media just a couple days ago they're not getting their proper praise in the media. Oh, that's coming, trust me. We've already heard it. The greatest evacuation in American history. The greatest surrender in American history. Joe Biden violates the deal that Trump negotiated. Violates it. To the advantage of the Taliban. You know, it's horrific when we lose men in war. When we're advancing the cause of Americanism and freedom and humanity. But to lose life in a bungled, incomprehensible, 
outrageous surrender is beyond the pale. And Biden knows it, which is why he's trying to deflect it everywhere else. It's beyond the pale. Where am I, Rich? Other than thoroughly disgusted with everything. Well, let's take a call here. Let's see. Uh, hold on, folks. I'm getting refocused. That Sirhan thing really knocked me for a loop. I'll be perfectly honest with you. <clears throat> and then seeing the pictures of these Marines, it just is, uh, it's sick. All right. Who shall I speak to? Let's see here. I will talk to uh, Deborah in Utah, the great KVEL. Deborah, you're up. Go right ahead, please. I think all four should be removed. Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense. But they're not going to be removed. That's the problem. Who's going to remove them? Need to be. We have to. The people people need to rise up in this next election and throw these bastards out. The people need to rise up at their school board meetings. They need to rise up against what these colleges and universities are doing. The people need to begin to speak and insist, insist that we get our country back, that we get our morals back, that we get our faith back, and we get our principles back. We are under attack through this culture. We're under attack with the undermining of the civil society. It's just disgusting. The whole damn thing is disgusting. I blame the media. I blame the Democrat Party. I blame these colleges and universities. I blame these Marxists throughout our society, including in the media with their stupid little ass websites. Thank you for your call. Don't hang up, Deborah. I'll give you a signed copy of American Marxism. I found it here. Let's go to Monty, Fairfax, Virginia, the great WMAL. Monty, go right ahead, please. Hello, sir. Nice to meet with you. Um, uh, Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Thank you. Um, I'm a veteran, and uh, the only thing I wanted to say is I was kind of disappointed in the Lieutenant Colonel Marine. I don't remember his name. I'm sorry. His name was uh, Stuart uh, Scheller. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Um, and I was disappointed that he came out and spoke freely about the incompetence of his chain of command. The only reason I'm I'm upset about that is because I I, I commend him for falling on his sword, but on the other hand, this is a guy that we need in our military, especially in the Marines. And he well, just- he's made a decision that he obviously can't function and do his job as he would like to do it, given the leadership. And it takes a man with enormous amount of guts to do what the generals wouldn't do, to do what commanders wouldn't do. He's a lieutenant colonel. He's not even a full colonel. But as far as I'm concerned, he's a leader. And I understand your point. I just disagree with it. The military is being used and abused by this president, by the American Marxist movement and CRTV, excuse me, and CRT. It's being abused with... uh, all kinds of social engineering policies, they're undermining them, making it much more difficult for the men and women in the military, the people who actually do the fighting to do their job. 
And um, if I didn't think this guy was a hero, I definitely wouldn't mention his name. Monty, thank you. Don't hang up. We're going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism, and thank you for your service, too. I hope you folks understand how brave Stuart Scheller is. Because he knew he was destroying his own career. He knew there were people say, you stepped out of your chain of command. I'm not talking about Monty, but on the left. But he wouldn't have had to do that if Millie had done it. If Millie had done it. But Millie is a happy warrior for Joe Biden. He's a happy warrior for Joe. It's amazing how these generals and ex-generals trash Donald Trump. But when it comes to Joe Biden, whose policies have now led to loss of life, they're all silent. Where's Kelly? Where's Mattis? I'll be right back. Lovin. I am uh, linking on uh, Getter, our new site there, and Parlor, a New York Post article that has a photo of every one of these Marines and the Navy medic. And I want to encourage you to go take a look at what America lost and these poor families lost. And for what? Joe Biden says the mission goes on. We're accomplishing our mission. I better bite my tongue now. Here's something to think about. Every site you visit, video you watch, or message you send gets tracked by internet service providers or other tech giants who can then sell your information for profit. To prevent them from seeing my internet activity, I protect all my devices with ExpressVPN. Nobody else is going to protect them. Your confidential and private information. ExpressVPN is a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all your network data tunnels it through a secure VPN server so your provider can't see any of your activity. You just download the app, tap one button on your device, and you are protected. An ExpressVPN never slows down your connection, so protect yourself with the VPN that I trust. Visit expressvpn.com mark to get three extra months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash mark expressvpn.com slash mark. I don't have a ton of time here uh, before we do our Ray Charles and God Bless America, but I want to say this to you. This has been a tough week for people who love our country, love our military, for people who really comprehend what's going on. It's been a tough week. It's going to get worse. I just want you to be mentally prepared for this. It's going to get worse. I'm not trying to be a wet blanket. I'm not trying to be a downer. But we cannot be Pollyannas about this. But you cannot lose your faith. You cannot lose your spirit. You can get down. 
You can get upset. You can get frustrated. But these 13 men gave their lives, as have others before them. They gave their lives for us. And God rest their souls. And in their honor, and in honor of all of you patriots out there, The week is officially over. The weekend begins now. Hope to see you Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox. Life, Liberty, and Levin. We have two great heroes. 
who almost lost their lives in defense of this country in Afghanistan. We salute our magnificent armed forces, law enforcement, emergency personnel. Good night to all my little dog buddies. I don't have time to name you all. Good night, Mom. Good night, Dad. Good night, Leo. We miss you all. Be strong, America. Stay strong. And I will see you on Monday. God bless you.